listen and to, to worship you. Um, it is both an honor to be here, but also very humbling. Um, I know many of you well, and uh, many of you know me well, and in that, uh, I want to make two comments sort of in terms of context about some words that I'll be sharing. First of all, these are spoken to myself. Um, first of all, as I prepare for this message, um, many of these thoughts and ideas about how we can be a community of grace are things that I'm applying to myself as well. Um, but also, I want to make a comment that there will be elements of this message or these, these words that I share that I do believe God has put on my heart that it'll be easy for you to sit here and think, boy, I wish somebody would hear that, or boy, I, I hope, hope somebody over there hears what he's saying. Um, I want to really pray that we listen to the words, listen to God's words, and apply them to ourselves, um, and then really build and focus on what it means to be a community of grace. So let's pray together and begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for this beautiful day. We do thank you for a day of rest and a day of worship, and we pray that you will be with us now as we continue in this, that you will be with us and guide us in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be opening up God's Word and looking at a number of passages uh, today, um, but one that will give us context, I believe it's going to be put up on the screen, is Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's a passage that we're going to be using a bit of context with. Um, the title of our, our thoughts today is Communities of Grace. Now, there's two key words in that. The first is communities. Um, it's a pretty popular word these days, the idea of thinking about and exploring what it means to be in a community, um, whether that's a, a town or an area that you live in. Um, it could be a church that you're part of. In fact, this congregation uses that word in its title, um, the word community is part of the name you've given to yourself. It can be a group. Um, I think a, a lot of college students in your, the place you live or maybe the groups that you're part of it can be a community. Also, uh, families are communities as well. So that's a bit of a definition in terms of that word communities. We're going to be exploring tonight today, or this morning what it means to be in a community. The second word, though, is grace. And I think it's important for us to do a little bit of definition of the word grace. Um, there's two sort of aspects to the idea of grace. One, and, and most important, is the idea of God's grace to us. We've just gone through Easter, and that idea that grace is God's gift, and we've, we look at it as this idea that it's this undeserved right standing that we have with God. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, that's one aspect of grace. Another is, is appropriate uh, and, and a realistic part of our lives is the idea of grace, often the idea of forgiveness that we have with each other within the community. Um, that God's grace, often we describe that as being that vertical concept, our relationship with God. The grace that kind of we extend to each other is more of that horizontal concept, love, forgiveness, acceptance that we have for each other. I think it's important to start and remember the primary thing to focus on is God's grace to us, that gift that he gave to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The 
German martyr and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote an incredible book called The Cost of Discipleship. In that book, he talks about something called cheap grace. We've got to be very, very careful that we don't see grace as meaning that I can do whatever I want, and then God and others must accept and forgive me. Bonhoeffer talked a lot about that. That lessens and it cheapens the work that Jesus did on the cross. If we assume that we can do whatever we want, and then we're going to be forgiven, and others better forgive us too. Now, Richard Mao, another contemporary writer, he's the author of a very curiously titled book called Calvinism at the Las Vegas Airport. Kind of a curious title that you might <laughs> check out. But he was, has said that it's important that grace is first understood as a salvation concept first, and then as a human relations concept second. That's a bit of a, a definition of the idea of grace. Now, as we move on and we look at that, I guess a scripture passage that reinforces that. Now, this is a very convicting passage to me. It always has been. It's Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Romans says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And the most emphatic way that he can, he writes, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Grace does not give us the excuse to just kind of live however we want and just expect that we can keep doing that. Grace should make us realize the gift God's given to us, and then we live a life of thankfulness. Now, part of that thankfulness, I think about the, the Heidelberg Catechism, the, the reality of God's grace um, should cause us to extend grace to others. Now, many of you are familiar with the Catechism. The first question and answer says, you know, what's our only comfort in life and in death? And it's the idea that we're not our own, that Jesus died to pay for our sins, and that everything has been paid for for us. Now, the second question asks, then, what must we know to live and to die in the joy of this comfort? And there's three things. It says, how, first of all, how great our sin and misery are. Secondly, how we've been set free from that sin and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for this deliverance. Now, that's where we begin to extend grace. Because of the grace God's given to us, he's forgiven us, he's made us right with him. We then extend grace to others. Now, this morning, we want to focus on two areas, two kind of practical applications where we can extend grace. Now, um, the title is A Community of Grace. Now, there's many, many aspects to that. Uh, the communities of grace must be places of the word. You need to read the word, study it. They should be places of prayer. They should be places of Christian fellowship. But in terms of a couple of very practical ways that we can extend grace, this morning we want to focus on, first of all, communication, how we communicate with each other. And then secondly, the idea of kindness and how we interact with each other. So we're going to open up God's word. The passages will be up and we'll reference them. We want to start then with the idea of communication. How should we in a community, whatever that community is, if it's as small as, as you and your spouse, maybe you and your boyfriend or girlfriend, um, you know, the, the community that you're part of, how can we communicate with each other? Now, again, Paul's writing is just amazing. Um, especially in Ephesians. We're going to look at two passages in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 15, Paul says, and God's speaking through Paul, it said, we need to speak the truth in love. Now, there's three key words to that. First of all, speaking. The command is we need to speak to each other. Now, I'm going to 
just kind of make this as practical as I can. We don't talk to other people about the situation, all right? We don't put it on Facebook about the situation. We speak to each other. Now, we speak the truth. The second word is we speak the truth. Before, if there's a concern, before you approach someone, you need to know what the truth is. You need to have the context. You need to have the understanding of, of what's taking place. So you're speaking the truth, but then the, sec the third word is very important, in love. Now, a lot of us, and my role, I'm, I'm a former teacher, currently administrator, um, I've got to be very, very careful because often I believe I've been given the gift of criticism and the gift of critique, okay? Some of you maybe feel you've been given that same gift as well. Now, in some ways, there's a reality of that. If God places you in a leadership role, and we're all leaders wherever we're at, there will be times when you need to critique or give counsel or give advice. But you do that, you speak that critique, you speak that truth, but you speak it in love. Not to make somebody look bad, not to sort of prove somebody wrong, but hopefully within that community to edify and to build up. So that's one passage that I think we need to take note of as Christians in a community is to speak the truth in love. Now, a second one. This one I think is just profound. Um, this is in verse 26. Now, this is the second part of the verse. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, before that, if you know that passage, it says, you know, keep your anger kind of in the context of righteousness. It's, there's going to be situations where anger is justified and anger is legitimate, but you need to keep that, right, that, that anger in the idea of appropriateness. But then it says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Now, looking around here a little bit, college students, I see some college students holding hands. I won't, I won't point you out. There are a couple couples here holding hands up here, okay? I don't know you well, but it may be part of God's plan that you become married someday. And this is also to, to couples and to, to people who are married. I think one of the best marriage kind of advices that my wife and I ever got was that verse. That some of you know my wife and you know me. We're very different people. Um, we, we, say, we share the same ethnicity. We share the same you know, church denomination that we grew up in. But we're very, very different people. But one of the best advices we ever got was this verse. And we've committed to that. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And you work things out. You resolve things. You settle things. Now, sometimes it's going to result in, you know, late nights, but I think it's important. It's also true in a community that do not let the sun go down in your anger. Speak to each other. Resolve issues. Talk amongst each other so that hopefully you can resolve the things that take place. Now, another passage that's very common and very popular is the classic passage in Matthew, Matthew 18, verses 15 and 16. And this is a model that Jesus gives us, and it says that if someone sins against you, there's this process that you go through. You first of all approach the person. Secondly, if that doesn't resolve it, you bring a witness with you. Third, you bring somebody in authority from the church with you. Now, there's lots of discussion, lots of debate. You know, how, do you, how is this applied in all situations? Uh, the passage says if someone sins against you, Regardless of that, I think this is a wonderful model, again, of communicating and talking with each other. To go directly to the person. If that doesn't resolve it, take a trusted person between both parties. If that doesn't resolve it, you bring someone from the church to talk and discuss this. Now, I believe that in a community, whatever community you're part of, 
those passages and those advices that God gives to us, I think will make the communities that we're part of just a, a richer and fuller and more effective group. Now, a second area, we're going to spend some time looking at this, is the idea of kindness. That if we accept and we realize that God has blessed us and God has forgiven us, we really don't have any choice but to go out and be kind and loving to other people. Now, we're going to look at four biblical examples of kindness. Each one has kind of a, a special purpose or a special idea to it. We're going to look at the story of Ruth and Naomi. We're going to look at David and Mephibosheth. Then we're going to look at the man who was lowered through the roof to be healed by Jesus. And then lastly, Eli and Samuel. So first of all then, Ruth and Naomi, um, that passage is found in Ruth chapter 1. And just to give you a little uh, reminder or context, you remember Naomi and her husband moved to Moab because of problems in the land of Israel. They take their two sons with them. Their sons marry daughters from Moab. And then all the men die. And Naomi's left a widow. Ruth is left a widow. Orpah's left a widow. Naomi decides to go back to Israel. Ruth says, I'm going with you. She could have stayed in Moab. That was her people, her land. Going back to Israel with Naomi was a lot of uncertainty. And, and probably committing to a pauper's life of begging. But she did that. Now, the lesson I think that we have there is that it's an example of kindness being shown by a younger person to an older person. Now, again, I look around here. I see a lot of young people, not just college-age people, but I know there's student-age people as well. Churches today give youth a lot of attention, appropriately. Programs are for the youth, and there's uh, money is spent for the youth. One of the most convicting passages or things that Jesus said in his word was that to whom much is given, much is expected. And I'm speaking to the young people here. You've been given a lot. You live in a land of plenty. You live in a land of privilege. Your parents love you. Your grandparents love you. And that's great. But this passage, I think, and if you're going to be part of a community, the question has to be asked, what do you have to give? How can you be kind to people who are older than you are? Now, it can be as basic as being respectful. You know, it can be opening doors for someone. But I challenge the young people here. Think about how can you be kind in the community that you're part of to the people who are older than you are? How can you do that? Now, the second example I want to give to you, second example that we, we pointed out, is the story of David and Mephibosheth. Now, try to say that word ten times fast. Um, most of you know the context here. David has been established as the king. He's ruler now. God has placed him in authority. The previous king, Saul, has been, been is gone. His son is gone. And in a moment of reflection, David says, you know, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I could be kind to? And someone says, well, there's this, this person. What happened was when they were leaving the palace kind of in the upheaval, this little baby was dropped, his feet were injured, and now he can't walk. And so he's disabled, he's crippled, the Bible talks about. David says, bring him here. Bring him to my palace. And from now on, he's going to hit the king's table. Also, I'm going to restore all the land that is rightly his. Now, there's two things about that passage I think are very helpful for us 
in a community. First of all, David is showing kindness to what Jesus talked about as the least of these. Now, I want you to think, all of you, all of you can think of someone in your life who is struggling. Because of their position, because of their state in life, they're struggling. And you, and this isn't, this isn't wrong, you are in a position kind of above them. God's blessed you. God's given you much. Either materially or emotionally, God has given you much. And you're aware of these people who are the least of these. Now, the, the obvious example we can talk about is maybe people with disabilities in our community or in our world. But it's more than that. David was the ruler of the kingdom. He was the supreme authority. And he was kind to someone who was probably the lowest in the kingdom. That's one challenge I think this passage gives to us, is to think, what are ways we can be kind to people who are lower than us? And I, don't, I say that respectfully, and I think you know what I mean by that. Now, the second part of this, I'm speaking now to parents. There's a lot of parents here. In our world today, if, you're, if you have your radar turned up at all, you're aware of challenges that the youth face today. Now, I'm not one of these people that says that, you know, the youth today have it worse than they've ever had it. If you go back in history and you talk about child labor problems in the late 1800s, you know, the pressures that people experienced in the, during the Depression, there are lots of pressures in history. But today there are challenges that young people face that we probably haven't seen before. Now, I think that the lesson from David and Mephibosheth is David is being kind to one of his friend's children. Does that make sense? Mephibosheth's father was Jonathan. This was one of David's friends. Jonathan also died in the, in the upheaval. But David is being kind to one of his friend's children. Now, I guess I want to challenge parents there. Your family may be doing fine. You know, not perfect, but things are going well. To have your radar turned up to your own friends, people your own age, and what's going on in their families. If there are struggles, if there are challenges, if there are disconnects, to make yourself available to help, to be kind in those situations. Now, I also think it applies to you parents to think about your children's friends. I'm being kind of specific about that. This applies to your friend's children, but it also applies to your children's friends. Again, if you're in a position of loving and blessing and being kind to someone else's children, you need to do that. Hopefully your, your house is a place where people come to. Not just because you've got a lot of pop and you've got the best little Debbie snacks, okay? But it's a place that people come to because you're encouraging. Because you say to your children's friends, how are things going? And you're concerned about them and you're interested in their lives. So parents... This passage, I think, it really applies to us and to be kind to our friends' children, but also then to our children's friends. Our next lesson, I know I'm going kind of a, a mile wide, an inch deep here, but I, there's so much in God's Word that could, we can learn from. The next one, there's no names in this one. It's interesting. This is the story that comes from Mark chapter 2. Jesus is teaching, and the house is so full, and he's so popular that there's these people that are bringing a paralyzed friend of theirs to be healed, and they can't get in, so, so full. So what do they do? They don't give up. They're persistent. 
They go on the roof, they tear the roof apart, and they drop the guy down right in front of Jesus. And there's this interesting story about how Jesus heals him. Um, but the lesson I think that we take today is this is kindness shown by a group of friends. All of us, we live in community. And we need to, again, ask ourselves the question, how can we be kind to our friends? If we're part of a group, how can we be loving, sensitive, and aware of what our friends need? Now, I'm going to be kind of pointed here, and I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else. Um, being my age and, and age of my children and kind of our station in life, we're aware of people our own age who have difficulties. It's so easy to say to someone, if you need anything, let me know. Now, how often does that person who's struggling actually call you up and say, yeah, I'd like something? It doesn't happen very often. But we feel good about ourselves because we've made the offer. We said, if you need somebody, let me know. Need something, let me know. We feel good. Now, the challenge, I think, in this situation, in our groups of friends, is if we're aware of a need, take care of it. If you have a friend whose child is struggling, do something about it. Do more than just say, hey, if you need something, let me know. Think about what they need and then carry out what they need. So this idea of kindness in a group of friends, I think there's such a, an opportunity to be a blessing, such an opportunity to be a witness to others. Now the last example, the fourth example, is probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. This is the story of Eli and Samuel. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Again, this is the story where Samuel hears the call of God. That this voice, Samuel's sleeping, he's a little boy, he hears this voice, he runs to Eli. Three times, Eli's patient. And he says, no, it wasn't me, go back. Lay down, and it happens again. Samuel runs back to Eli and says, you know, you called me, what do you want? Wasn't me, um, no, no. Goes back again a third time. Finally, Samuel realizes, Eli realizes, excuse me, that it's God speaking. And he says, you know what, next time I want you to go lay down, and I want you to say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Now, this is the part, and I'm looking at the, the group here today, if you are an older person, an opportunity to be kind to younger people. What does that mean? In our society today, grandparents are having an increasing involvement and role in their grandchildren's lives. Increasing number of single parent families, increasing number of two working parents, and it's resulted in grandparents having a, more of an involvement in their children's lives. Now, for you as grandparents, or people that are in that position of an older person having the opportunity to be involved in a younger person's lives, how are you going to respond to that? Now, it can be frustrating. You know, you're a, you're a grandparent and you say, man, I got this 12-year-old granddaughter. And she uses the word like every other word, okay? I, I don't know what she's talking about, all right? Or you're a, a grandparent and you say, I got this teenage grandson and his pants, they're way, they're way down, and you can see his boxers. What, what do I do with that? All right? Now, there's a generation gap. It's true. All right? There are differences. But as a grandparent or as an older person, God calls you and me to love those young people, to be there for them, to engage them in conversations, to be a blessing to them. 
Now, there's a fifth example that I want to mention from the Bible. I said we're going to be four, but there's five in terms of kindness, and that's Jesus. You look at the life of Jesus and the model that he was for us. He did all of those things. One of the last things he did on the cross was he arranged to have his mother cared for. He was kind to children and to people with disabilities. He was kind and patient to his friends who didn't understand what his ministry was going to be about. And he also was kind as an older person to younger people. Jesus is the ultimate example. Now, he's the perfect example. We're thankful for that. But he's our model of kindness within a community. Now, in closing, I want to mention a quote. This is one of my favorite quotes. Um, and we're not sure who said it. And I'm a historian, and I, and I try to focus on accuracy. People either say Plato said it or uh, a Jewish philosopher who lived about 60 years before Christ by the name of Philo of Alexandria. But regardless of who said it, I want you to reflect on this quote. Always be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Now think about that. That sometimes people will hide it. They'll disguise it. You might meet somebody and they look like life is great. No problems at all. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And God calls us to be kind. To be loving. To be understanding to them. Now, again, to close this morning, just a couple of thoughts. There's all kinds of opportunities that we have to extend grace. This morning we just talked about two of them. The idea of how to communicate with each other and lay a foundation of, of love and acceptance. But also then how to be kind in different areas. By doing these things, the way that God asks, will be a blessing to those people who are in the community with us. But also importantly, it'll be a witness to those who are looking for a community. Now, surveys tell us when they, when they ask recent converts to, the, to Christianity, what was it that, you know, you know, that made you a, take a, have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? And rarely is it some evangelistic program or some sort of tactic or some sort of speech. The number one reason people say that they become a Christian is they were attracted to the Christian community. They saw it, and they saw what was happening in it, and they said, we want to be part of that. Hopefully they will see in our communities that we're part of, us communicating with each other, but also loving each other and showing kindness to each other that really represents and models what God says. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessings of this day, a day of worship and a day of rest. We thank you also that it's a day that we can be part of communities. We'll have fellowship here. We have fellowship here already today. Many of us will go and have fellowship in other communities. Help us, Lord, to, to model your example of communication, but also of kindness. We pray that you will bless us now as we go from here. Help us not to just be a a momentary time of connection with you, but help us as we go from here into our week and into our lives to serve you to the fullest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.